This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. This is the first episode of 2022. We're going to be doing some Red Sox free agent talk where each of us going to list our top two picks that we hope the Red Sox pursue in these final couple of months. Charlie Smith, Andrew Dwan with me for this episode. How are you guys? Been a little while. Is your equipment dusty? No, not at all. No. Yeah, I didn't even know where mine was, honestly. I found it in a suitcase. There you go. There you go. Well, for the listening audience, I am using brand new equipment. I've got a new laptop, new interface, new microphone. So if anything comes out glitchy or perhaps too echoey, just bear with me. I'll rein it in in the coming shows. I'm actually also, for the first time ever, broadcasting in my new man cave. I'm officially down in South Carolina now, enjoying the warmer weather. So uh, the the room could be perhaps a bit echoey, but I'll, I'll work on that as well in the coming days. So just bear with us as far as the audio goes. And uh, I just want to say, up in Maine tomorrow... It's going to be negative 23 in the city I used to live in. Negative 23. I'm assuming there's going to be some wind chill contributing to that. And admittedly, it's only going to be in the low 40s here in South Carolina. I think the same cold front is kind of diving down, but it won't be frigid. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's uh, it's currently 20 here. It's going to get down to 8 tonight and ex- expected to hit potentially minus 3 where I am. Ooh. So. 50s and 60s in denver this week so wow somehow i got struggle is real for you denver (laughs) folks exactly warmer than me over here in south carolina but so a report came out today jeff passan from espn says the major league baseball basically the owners side of it are going to be submitting their core economic proposal to the Players Association uh, within the next two weeks. And because today is January 10th, it could conceivably be delivered on January 24th. And nothing significant has really been hashed out so far. The core economic proposal is kind of the first ball to drop where they'll really start you know, wheeling and dealing and and haggling and and whatnot. And admittedly, I'm not very well versed with contractual stuff, especially, you know, with the CBAs. Uh, I'm a little more well versed as far as like the on the field stuff that pertain to it. But I'm a little disappointed that we're this, we're potentially going to be this late in the winter. And when this report came out, that basically was the first blow to my confidence that the season would start on time on April 1st. So are you guys concerned at all that perhaps it could be a later start? Perhaps there could be fewer games? Not really. Um, As we've always seen with these things, deadlines are needed. Until you have a hard deadline, Nothing gets done. Uh, there's been no incentive to get anything done. I think I honestly think that both sides are enjoying having a little bit of a break anyways. Um, yeah, I, I think we're still going to maybe delay spring training a week. I don't think that's that big of a deal. Uh, we saw chopped up spring trainings pretty much you know, the last two years. So I, I think they'll get something done. I am not ready to say that I'm worried about any – 
regular season games getting postponed because the spring training games are still kind of a cash cow for these owners. They own these facilities down, uh, down South and they sell them out. And, you know, these, these guys, you know, they're bickering with the players over a few dollars. So, you know, they're not trying to lose anything. I mean, ever since the beginning of 2020, we've been trying to quote, figure it out. It feels like for major league baseball and to Andrew's point, uh, they do make a little bit of money, not as much money as they would, uh, during the regular season. So if it means cutting spring training a little bit, I think they'd rather do that obviously than cut the regular season in any capacity. Um, I'm, I'm kind of in your boat too. I'm a little disappointed that we don't have a little bit more traction right now, but my hope is that we can get this situation wrapped up soon because the longer we wait, the, you know, if this ends up going into February or longer than that, it's going to be a little nerve wracking for not just us and, 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 it's going to be everybody fans and everyone alike. They need to get it done. I mean, when that proposal hits the desk of the players union, Tony Clark is the president of the MLB players union and they end up being way off, which is what I suspect. I just, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty turbulent. Whatever goes on behind the scenes and, but don't we think that each side kind of has an idea of what concessions the other side are willing to, to make? I, you know, I, it doesn't sound like they were super productive pre-lockout, but I do think that, you know, these are smart people. It's the only thing that they focus in on. They have a general idea what it's going to take to get done to meet whatever the middle point may be it's just how much the other side's willing to give up and how you know hard you know they want to hold their feet to the fire i hope you're right andrew i I really do and i want to get started on time i want these transactions to pick up again that can't happen until after the lockout but here's some perspective for you the last meeting they had to talk about the lockout and the labor agreement It lasted seven minutes. That was it. It was a seven-minute conversation, and both sides walked. This episode of this podcast, this very second, has gone on for six minutes and 54 seconds. Six seconds short of the conversation they had. So hopefully hopefully it does, uh, you know, get going on track, and hopefully both sides are civil and productive, like Andrew said, and we get down to business. Here we go. So we're going to we're going to give a list of players we're hoping the Red Sox will potentially pursue. We're hoping they're going to this list is somewhat realistic. Spoiler alert, Carlos Correa is not on this list. Not saying they won't sign him, but So we're we're going to be talking about some some other players that realistically could end up on the Red Sox roster. 2022 so charlie you're in the leadoff spot who's who's your first choice yeah so as far as like uh players and or situations that we're going to be talking about for tonight uh you say kakuchi is the player that i really want to talk about i i i'm not really thrilled with what we have right now for the rotation you have chris sale we're hoping he comes back 100 uh native all you had a great year i'm really cu- curious to see like how many you know innings we're going to be able to get as far as the mileage it's it was taxed last year nick pavetta had moments of brilliance you have tanner hauck in there and then you know you got paxton who's not going to be back yet you got hill who's you know in his early 40s connor siebold's name has been echoed a couple times michael waka is not going to be the answer i really think they need to add another arm into the rotation i don't want to see garrett whitlock lose his spot um, in the bullpen and be used um, as that like four or five guy. I think this is the perfect opportunity to give this man a change of scenery. I'm going to kick out 2020. He shaved off more than a run per nine um, from 2019 to 2021. He plays for a team that just did not hit for him the first couple years. He's had a losing record three straight seasons, not by much the past two. But I honestly think that this is the type of person that would be a really good reclamation project. 
He's probably not going to command crazy, crazy money. And if he does, I think there's some some room to wiggle and negotiate. Um, he's 30 years old. I mean, this is this is an opportunity for for us to get yet another project, at least a reclamation player project that I think is is going to be good, fun to watch. Um, we've had a really pretty strong history with picking on players that have uh, Japanese roots, and this would be nothing you know strange to Boston. So I'd love to give this man a shot. I think he could dominate at Fenway, given the opportunity with a, a an absolute bomb lineup in relation to what he had in Seattle a couple of years ago. So that's that's my take with Kikuchi. Andrew, thoughts? Um, I'm not the biggest Kikuchi fan. I thought the second half was really damning. Uh, he came out like gangbusters in the first. He was an all-star. But in the second half, he got absolutely lit up. Um, opponents hit 300 against him, slugged five, 525. And I'm not too sure how his price tag is going to look. Um, Seattle declined their interesting option on him. It was a weird one for three years, but then he declined his player option. And that I believe was 12. So he probably thinks he can make more than 12. And at that point for a proverbial four, I think they can patch enough together out of Hill, Waka, um, Whitlock and whatever else they need to, to get through. I don't, I'm not opposed to it. I mean, if he is an $8 million guy, I would say absolutely. Why not? But uh, I, I do know Toronto had some uh, some whispers um, around him. So I he could it could be a good change of scenery candidate. I just don't know how effective he's going to be. Um, if he's that first half pitcher, whoever signs him is getting an absolute steal, and Seattle is going to look terrible. Um, but if he is truly close to the second half player, I don't know how I you know think. I don't think that's going to fare too well in the AL East. I also am not a Kikuchi fan. He came from Seattle, a very pitcher-friendly ballpark, and then to to put him not only pitching in Fenway Park, but against a very highly powered American League East. I mean, the Yankees are going to hit bombs left and right all year long. They'll win 85 to 92, somewhere in there. Toronto, probably going to be the best team in the American League, in my opinion, barring some crazy Red Sox bonanza signings as soon as this lockout ends. I just don't think... I, I don't think the Red Sox are really a good fit for him, and I honestly think Bloom is done with starting pitching. I he's got a bunch of guys that can at least start the season in the rotation. I mean, we listed them off I'll, before we came on. I'll do it right now. We you know, we got Chris Sale, Nathan Avaldi, Tanner Houck, Michael Waka, and Rich Hill. You got a lot of number 3s in there. And if Tanner Houck can get that splitter going, you might have a number two in him and that could be somewhat of a long shot, but we'll see what kind of a, a spring he has uh, leading up to opening day. But I honestly think Bloom's done. And I think these are the guys we have. And then we have who Bloom thinks is an insurance policy and James Paxton. He'll be ready in the July, August time frame. So I just don't think he's a fit. Any more thoughts, Charlie? Yeah, I mean, if you look back at it, this is someone who consistently allowed three runs or less, and I'm not going to throw out, like, a couple of bad performances in the later half of the season and say, like, he absolutely fell apart. He got cracked against Houston. He also was lights out against teams like Houston and New York. We're going to face New York a lot during the regular season. I want to take a shot. He allows three runs or less, and I, I have to look at it. I'm pretty sure it was like 20-some-odd appearances. Three, four, five, six, seven, like 11, 15. You're looking at over 20 appearances where it allows three runs or less. I want to take a shot at that. How do you allow three runs or less and only get seven wins if your team doesn't hit for you? Like, I mean, 
you got to give this guy a little bit of a break, man. I mean, this is a better option than some of the people that we signed for seven, eight million in the past. So would, would I rather have Kikuchi or would I rather have Garrett Richards? Last year, I would have had Kikuchi. So um, I just think a change of scenery, this is going to be it. This is I'm, I'm not going to be so bold as to say this is going to be Corbin Burns big because I nailed that one right on the money. But I think that this could be just what this man needs. And I think he just needs a chance. That's it. That's all I'm saying. Andrew, go ahead. You're number one pick. Yeah, so mine, I've been talking about him since before the season even ended. And that's Say Suzuki. I thought it was a very, very large possibility that Hunter Renfro was traded. That ended up coming to fruition. And they need to upgrade defensively. And it doesn't look like that's going to be done in the infield. We look pretty set at third and short at the moment uh, with Devers and Bogarts. And then, you know, fill in the blank at second. But second's not going to make or break you defensively. And then first base, you got Dalbic and Cassis. So bringing in a guy like Say Suzuki, who is pretty much won a gold glove every single year he's played in Japan, He's going to add that level of athleticism and defensive proudness that you just haven't had. I know, I know Redfro is a, a finalist for Gold Glove, but that, I mean, that just shows how stupid the Gold Glove award is. The man led the league in errors. I, I loved him as a player. He had a hell of an arm. Suzuki might have even a better arm. Um, they just need to figure out how to get more athletic at the corner outfield position. And I don't think moving Alex Verdugo to right is the answer. I think that will actually probably derail him as a ball player. Cause I don't think he's durable enough to, you know, stand up with the wear and tear of playing in that, uh, in that corner, that side of the corner for 155 plus games. So I'd like to see Suzuki. He would also add, uh, you know, an element of speed and power to the lineup that we do need especially from the right side i i just see the fit there and i don't think it's going to be that expensive maybe five years 64 64 something along the lines of that and he's young too and the red sox don't have any young outfielders coming up for the minor leagues you can look at duran but we plenty of question marks from him and after that there's literally nobody so he is my number one target i would like to see him uh, you know, maybe not take all of the posting period. I don't know if they can sign before the posting period's up, which is obviously on pause now with the lockout. Uh, but that is piece number one I want to see as soon as the lockout's lifted. So Andrew already touched up on something that uh, I, I was very much wanting to talk about myself, did a little uh, about face and, and switch topics for myself last minute. Um, he committed four errors last year. Don't believe he committed any errors the year before that. One or two errors the year before that. So five errors in three seasons. Pretty sure that's going to be better than Hunter Renfro playing right field. A little bit faster. Has a little bit of pop too. Almost 40 homers last year. Granted, dimensions are a little bit different in Japan. Um, I don't know who the next best option in the outfield would be because Alex Verdugo, if he's healthy, is good. Jaron Duran, I I think that it was cute. It was fun to see him play, but I don't think he's a long-term solution. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get packaged in some kind of deal. As far as what Seiya Suzuki is going through right now, recently, if you're looking at what he's been doing and what he's been saying, who he's been talking to, he's actually been like kind of hinting like a decision's already been made, but he can't technically say the decision's been made yet because of the lockout. Um, he's already hinted towards which team he wants to play for and what team he will be playing for, but everything is just backdoor. We can't talk about it. We have to wait, blah, blah, blah. Um, but Suzuki coming to Boston makes a lot of sense. And, and you mentioned it 26 years old, this kid's going to be here for, you know, if they sign him and lock him up for 560, 570, I would be okay with that. Uh, this is going to be someone who's going to be able to be there at that core spot for half of half of the decade. You know, this is going to be huge. And it also gives the Red Sox a little bit of flexibility to potentially work out some other options and 
maybe in, in a couple of years, two, two years, three years, we'll have that option that we didn't have before where we have a young 23, 24-year-old arm in the outfield to complement Suzuki playing right. I'm not a big Suzuki guy, and you guys are. That's fine. I'm not sure where Job stands on him. Uh, Jason, I, I know, had a similar outlook than, you know, compared to what I have. The YouTube guys, and I failed to mention this at the start, we do have a YouTube channel, separate crew. They're cranking out videos. A lot of those guys are big fans of the idea of bringing in Seiya Suzuki. So I'm in the minority, and that's fine. But what I don't like about it is we don't know how many games Alex Verdugo is going to play. Hopefully at least 140 he kind of grinded through some injuries last year. Didn't really miss significant time. He did in 2019 with a, uh, some type of stress fracture in his back. I believe it was. And you've got Kike Hernandez who had a pretty good 2021, but like Hunter Renfro, maybe that was his ceiling offensively. I think he's going to have at least a slight regression as far as the offensive output goes. So I'm just not a fan of bringing in an unproven guy like Suzuki. It very seldom works offensively. We've seen some some good pitchers come over from the Asian markets, whether it was Japan or Korea, and they've worked out good. The Red Sox historically have had good pitching out of those markets. Uihara... Uh, Hideki Okajima, say what you want about Dice K, but he was a part of that 2007 team, had a pretty good 2008 with 18 wins. So, I mean, organizationally, we've had good pitching out of there, but I'm just not a big fan of Suzuki. Now, if this were 2018 and you've got Benintendi in left, Mookie Betts in right, you've got two bats. So you can afford to take a chance on a guy like Suzuki offensively because you got two powerhouses out there that are that are gonna pull their weight at least as far as 2017 2018 went, and I just I don't like it I don't like it at all and we need to adequately replace Kyle Schwarber offensively and, and I just think. I just think Suzuki's too much of a wild card as far as that goes. And and if you want flashy defense, you got that in Bradley. <laughs> Crap offense, but well, I, I honestly don't even. I'm not even sold that Bradley is going to be on the team. But I, yeah, I, I've been saying that since the trade got finalized. I don't, I don't see him as anything more than a fourth or fifth outfielder. I don't think he has a set role yeah. whatsoever. How, how do you agree? Well, he, he could be a fourth outfielder and, and I, I don't disagree with that, but I'm just saying great. Honestly, he's going to give you, he's going to give you probably as good or better defense than Suzuki. will for at least the next year or two, as far as him not being on the team, I mean, he's got a huge contract. I mean, we're going to have to eat most of that. And isn't there even something for 2023? No, I mean, yeah, it's 17 million, but you know, they, got prospects that they wanted they got organization organizational depth with hamilton i mean they don't have speed and he's a 70 runner and he could be your next super utility guy for the next five to seven years and alex Manellis was you know a top 10 pick uh until he broke his hamate and you know struggled the first month of the season so they got two guys that they were clearly targeting and i i just think it was a kind of like an autovino move where they just said, screw it, we'll take the money, we don't really care. Um, so so to your, to your point, Jackie Bradley gets nine and a half this year. Uh, it's an $8 million buyout or $12 million mutual option. So, yes, yeah, yeah, you, it's, yeah, you can look at it that way, but it's not, it's not 17 in one year. You're still, you're still only gassing nine and a half for the first one, eight, but you can, who knows what happens. It's not a movable contract. This year? It's not. I, a I don't think so. Unless you're, yeah. you're probably sucking it up, but you did get a pick out of it. You got two, or, or not picks. You got two players out of it, and one of them was highly touted. So, 
And, and then if you he comes to, out of the suck up some of it, even as a fourth outfielder, if Bradley comes out of the gates in in April and May and just completely tanks, he's hitting a buck forty, which isn't even a long shot. He's even less tradable at that point. Well, he's, I don't think they got him to trade him. I, I don't think they care. I think they got the they attached the con they got the contract that was just the price of doing business. They bought a, they bought two players. The two players cost seventeen million, and I think that's how they looked at it. Because you know, yeah. all these guys have prospects have a certain monetary value, and I think that they looked at it and be like, all right, he's worth ten, he's worth five, close enough. Well, I mean, we have depth. We're not we're not hurting. I'm not saying it ever hurts to add prospects, but I just you had the Pedroia money finally come off. We have what at least I think this might be the final season with David Price's money on the books, sixteen million. I just hate the idea of dead money, and and I, it, it just goes back to my point. I mean, your outfield right now is Verdugo, Kike Hernandez. Jackie Bradley Jr. and um, Jaron Duran. That's three lefties too. And I know Suzuki's a righty, but I'm not I'm not a fan. But I'll I'll be the first to admit, at least as far as this crew goes, I'm in the minority, and that's fine. Um, I will move on to to my first pick here. You know what? I'm going to flip-flop my picks because this uh, my second pick actually is an outfielder, so I, I guess I'll just do that. I like Nick Castellanos. I think it's probably a long shot that that Bloom goes for him, but he is a righty, and as I was just saying, we've got so many lefties, so you're going to need a righty bat in the outfield. I, I think that makes Schwarber a long shot to be signed, you know, because of the fact he's a lefty, but Castellanos at Fenway park would just hit moonshot after moonshot after moonshot over that green monster. And we haven't adequately replaced Mookie Betts from a right-handed power standpoint. I know Kike hit a few more home runs than he normally does last season, but Nick Castellanos is a bona fide 30, 100 guy. And some projections have him at, you know, in the, in the five year 120 range, which is, which is exactly JD Martinez contract. And he's 30 years old. So it would take him to his age, uh, 35 season. And then if, if Martinez isn't back after 2022, and I, I certainly don't expect him back after finishing out the final year of his option, uh, of his contract rather, I think you could you could just put Castellanos at DH, and it's while still utilizing him in the outfield when needed, and I think he's a decent enough fit for the Red Sox. And I and one last thing before you go. I love the, I don't even know the word for it, but he gets really amped up. He gets really amped up when he mowed down that catcher last year at home plate. And then he, you know, he did like that Hulk Hogan type flex at him. I love that. And I think the Red Sox could use a little bit of it. Maybe Alex Cora wouldn't like it, you know, based on that little thing with Erod in the playoff game there. But I'm a big Castellanos guy. How how did you phrase it earlier, Terry? Ah, I'm not really a fan of I'm not really a fan of that guy. I'm not really a fan of that one either. So Castellanos, I wouldn't call a bona fide 3100. He's only had 3100 once last year. That's it. How's he? He's only hit over 300 once and a half because he only did it this year and like halfway through the season when he was playing in Chicago. Before that, he's never hit 300. He'd never had 30 home runs. He'd only once had 100 RBIs, and that was 101. So you're literally getting less than J.D. Martinez-type stats or less than J.D. Martinez-level production from the home run RBI category. His his batting average is, is has been going up. Last year, we can call it an anomaly because he only hit like 220. It was crap. And this year, he blew up out of nowhere. 
So which which version of Nick Castellanos are we going to get? So are you saying you want to get him for 5-120? That would be about the tops. But b- before we go on, though, I mean, 2017, he hit 26 bombs, 101 ribbies. Uh, 2019, he got traded. But between Detroit and uh, Chicago Cubs, he, uh, you know, he hit 27 bombs, only 23 ribbies. But he wasn't on, you know, there weren't a lot of base runners in Detroit, let's face it, for him to drive in. And uh, and then 2020 in two months he was on pace for, uh, well he hit he hit 14 home runs in two months so that would have been what 42 home runs he would have been on pace for. I'm gonna boldly assume, assume. it it would have been at least 30 <laughs> if he was on pace for for sure uh, 42. So the power's there and this is probably the best ballpark he's ever gonna hit in Detroit. Not a hitter's ballpark and he he still he still showed some pop there. One of the more difficult ones. In, in Cincinnati defense, is right. though that that oh. that's a good, no, sorry, but yeah, Cincinnati's pretty good for him. Pretty good, yeah, and that that's probably why he had a had a good season last year. You know, playing a full one sixty two there, but but like he'll, I said, I'm he'll a mash fan. doubles. Yeah, he'll mash doubles. That's not a question. Like he'll, he'll be uh, he'll be a monster on the monsters. No question about that. Um, Castellanos also can play third and right field, so there's uh, an, an option to have him play both uh, if we need to go that route. If for some odd godforsaken reason we don't get Suzuki, I could see this being a little bit more realistic, but I don't want both of them. And I would want Suzuki over Castellanos pr- primarily because of the money factor too. I think that we're going to be able to get a lot more bang for our buck um, from Suzuki. But I mean, Castellanos... If we didn't have the price contract, I'd probably be more married to it. If if we had to backload it, I'd probably be more comfortable with it as opposed to like front loading or something like that. I just I don't know. It's it's tough with with Castellanos because he's going to command buku bucks. And actually, let me add a couple other things before Andrew comes in. If he starts off and has a good year or two, it's a tradable contract. It's absolutely a tradable contract, and if they put an opt out in after the second or third year. I mean, even better for us. Like I'd be fine with that. So anyway, go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, no, for me, I I'm out on Castellanos. I, I don't think he's what the team needs. Quite frankly, I think he's a more consistent Hunter Renfro. Essentially. I, this guy was legitimately the worst defensive player in all of baseball. He is um, sixth in outs above average percentile, eighth in outfield jump. Uh, the, he just can't play the outfield. And Fenway Park, right field, that could make that makes the best fielders. Oh, he's playing bad. left. He's playing left if he's coming. If he's playing left, then for Dugo's body, I mean that that's just kind of a chain reaction for me there. And he doesn't walk. Uh, he strikes out. Uh, you know, 150 times. I uh, there's there's a lot of red flags, and I, I I think you're essentially signing him to be your DH a year early. And I'm not married to the idea of really having a long term DH signed without knowing um, a few things. One of those being Devers' future. Obviously, I don't think they would try to move him off uh, third for as long as they possibly had to um, in the scenario where, you know, he was here long-term and also the Dahlbeck and Cassis thing. uh, Should Dahlbeck be closer to the player we saw in the second half, then they have, you know, two really good first basemen. One of those guys could slot into the DH role. I, to me, I, I I just like having the, the DH option open um, until some of the other question marks we have, are are you know, are answered. Castellanos had a 362 OBP in 2021. That was his highest, but he's a career 329. So I mean, well above a guy like Renfro, I would say. Uh, I can't argue the strikeouts, but but I I think I don't know. I'm I'm just a fan, and I, I just think he would he would instantly be a very popular player. Uh, you know, in Fenway, whether I get my way or not. And admittedly, it's probably a long shot, 
but but anyway, so uh, back to the top, or you know, yeah, we're back to the top. Charlie, go ahead. Yeah, so for this one, this is an, another one uh, referring to pitching. Um, that's like a common theme. I either really enjoy talking about Rafael Devers or like talking about pitching, and usually it's insulting the pitching because it's just not there. In this particular circumstance, I already addressed one for the starting rotation. This is more for the back end. So we're talking about the bullpen and then also bullpen slash closer role because last year we had Matt Barnes, who was phenomenal in the month of April and May. He was just lights out. Arguably one of the best closers in baseball, right up there with you know, the best names up there. I think also Craig Kimbrell was doing really well. Um, even Daniel Bard was doing really well. And then instead of Matt Barnes, Matt Barnes uh, went home and the ghost of Matt Barnes came out. And that's who we saw for the later half of the season because the month of August in September, when I saw him warming up in the bullpen, I was like, ah, damn, this is not going to be good. This does not feel good at all. So that being said, if we were hypothetically speaking, able to, if possible, add an arm, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Trevor Rosenthal, someone who came off of a lights-out 2020 season, who did not pitch at all in 2021, or Brad Hand, who is arguably the best pitcher, uh, best reliever in 2020, with 16 saves, no-blown saves, didn't even give up a home run, uh, and have him come over, even though he had kind of a, a shaky 2020 season. Both got between 10.5 and 11 million. They're both 31 years old. They'd fit right in with Matt Barnes if Matt Barnes can't handle it. And God forbid if if there's a shift or a shuffle or someone goes down, we still have that inning covered. Who'd you rather have? I'm kind of leaving this as an open-ended one. Me personally, I think I'd still rather have Brad Hand because Rosenthal did not pitch at all last year. I don't know what I'm going to get with that. So I'd rather have Brad Hand because I, I trust it. And he finished out the year on fire with the Mets. Andrew? Yeah, honestly, both of those players last year, I would have said I I would love to take a flyer on each, and I think we were kind of surprised about how much each of those guys um, made last year. Actually, I know for a fact that we did pot on that. Uh, for me, I I don't know. I I think a guy. There's a couple guys that come to mind. One's Ian Kennedy. I think you know he's still out there. He became a closer almost by default. Um, and he, he worked out for him, and I don't think he's going to command a ton of money. Uh, I don't mind them taking some risks, too, on a guy like Alex Colomay or, you know, even a Joe Kelly bringing them back. And I don't think that it needs to be a closer per se. I think it could be just any guy that's capable of handling, like, seventh, eighth inning, and then kind of just figure it out from there. I do think a lot of Barnes's issues last year were overwork. I think we saw it really early on. So I don't know, maybe if they draw back 20%, maybe he doesn't have his uh, that second-half collapse that he had last year. If I had to pick between the two of them, I would definitely go with Trevor Rosenthal, actually, because like Charlie said, he was lights out. He had a problem with his hip labrum, apparently, which kept him out for basically all of 2021. I just have a little bit more confidence that he would, his his ceiling is a little higher, and Brad Hand was just lost. He wasn't pitching that great for the Nationals. And then the Blue Jays acquired him right around the trade deadline. And he was so bad for them. They they cut him at the start of September. So I, I don't know what the issue is with, with Brad Hand. But like Andrew said, I mean, there's a lot of guys you have to replace. Adam Ottavino isn't coming back. Hansel Robles not coming back. I know I'm forgetting one more. That's uh, so there there's a ton of arms needed in that bullpen. This so this is someone that uh I, I, I actually do want hand over Rosenthal. I know you want Rosenthal. He didn't pitch at all twenty twenty. Uh twenty twenty one, excuse me. He had a, an electric twenty twenty year. The same thing with Brad Hand. When Brad Hand came to New York in sixteen games, he again went back to his old ways, gave one home run, 
was averaging over a strikeout an inning. He figured himself back out again. I think it was just a momentary, like, lapse, glitch issue of the yips, whatever. But he went right back to pitching as soon as he left Toronto. I just don't think Toronto gave him enough of a chance. And he did struggle, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, you you can't lose that much in a year. Like, it just, it's it didn't make any sense. And I think it was just an anomaly. And I think that he's going to come back and crush it this year. I hope he does. And both of them should be signed at a pretty good discount. But the Red Sox have a pretty hardcore pitching program, you know, analytically as well. So tough to know whether Bloom will target either one. But I think we are going to get at least one reclamation project in the bullpen by the time they do hit spring training. Uh, Andrew, number two on your list. So this one for me is more of a scenario. This uh, this has kind of been plaguing the Red Sox for years and it's kind of coming to a head now. And that is figuring out the long-term solution at catcher. We found out that they were the front runners for Jacob Stalling, but the Marlins swooped in and stole them. Um, you know, trying to work something out with the Pirates and couldn't, and that would have been great. You know, we would have gotten a huge upgrade, uh, maybe not offensively, but definitely defensively. Would have got a gold Glover there that can really handle a pitching staff. And I think Vasquez, he took a large step back last year, and it was noticeable. You know, he just was not effective offensively. I don't know if the new ball changed him up. Uh, you know, he went from hitting bombs to hitting nothing. And then the staff didn't seem super confident with him either. I don't think Evaldi threw to him whatsoever. So I would like for the Red Sox to figure out, and this is much easier said than done, um, a long-term solution. And one guy that I would love to see, I don't know how feasible it is. It would probably take a decent package, Um that's MJ Melendez with the Royals. He's a prospect. He's a power hitting prospect. He is stuck behind Sal Perez. Now, granted, they could move Sal Perez to DH, but he is a guy making 18 to $20 million for the next four years. So, you know, he was signed at that top dollar to be a catcher. Uh, they just, the rest of the division has their long-term catchers. The Yankees have Austin Wells coming up soon. You know, Adley Rutschman is going to be one of the best players in Major League Baseball, and the Orioles have him. The Jays have, like, three top ten um, catching prospects. So the Red Sox don't have that. They just flat out do not have that. So that is one move um, I would really like to see the Red Sox do, and that is find a way, and it might hurt prospect-wise, but to get a guy like MJ Melendez. Give him Dahlbeck. Oh, I, I, the, I think uh, it would take it would take more than that. No, I know. Yeah, it, yeah. To to say to say that Vasquez took a step back would be a compliment. It, it would almost be like downplaying just how bad he was this year. Uh, in 2020, in less than 50 games, he had seven home runs. He had 23 RBIs. He had 283. In almost three times that, he had less home runs. Period. Like. It just, it wasn't, it was not working um, to the point where I didn't even feel confident with him being the starting catcher. Like I, there were times during the regular season where I was like, yeah, he's my dud. Why? Because I don't want to see him. It was like the Matt Hall complex behind the plate. Like, I don't, I don't like you right now. This is not it. Plowecki over at Plowecki over um, Vaz was at one point my mindset. Cause I was done. I was checked out from this guy. Um, truth be told, I don't know enough about some of the, the Royals catchers. Um, this one that in particular that you mentioned, Melendez, any catcher that's in the Royals farm system right now, if your goal is to play major league baseball, you're, you better be trying to leave because Salvador Perez is the best catcher in baseball. He's not going anywhere for a little while. So unless you're, you need three, four years of seasoning, you need to start looking elsewhere. So what could p- potential package look like? Dahlbeck plus what to get this Melendez guy? What is it going to take to get them to 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 uh, make this would, move? I mean, I think they want more, you know, prospect wise. You know, I don't know how they view a guy like Jaron Duran. Probably start with him. If it would have to take, you know, 
a guy like um, Blaze Jordan, something along the lines of that, you know, you're looking at your top 10 prospects. You're going to have to throw them at least two to get something done here because, you know, you're getting a top 75 major league prospect at the end of the day. It's not like you're getting a guy in his age 28 season that's his best days are behind him. You're getting someone whose future is ahead of him. Um, so it, it would hurt, but, you know, that's the price of not having – that long-term answer and one other guy i wasn't gonna throw out there because it's more of a pipe dream but i don't know everything's open in oakland sean murphy is another guy and that would also take a lot he's also young also a gold glover but they do have tyler soderstrom um in the pipelines and who knows if oakland even wants to field a you know a competitive team so I just took a look at uh, MJ Melendez. He had 41 homers across double A AA and triple A in 2021. He had 288 over that span as well with 103 RBIs and even stole three bases. It would take a grand package. He's 23 years old. Plenty, plenty of baseball time to go. If they, if they want to make a move to, to get something, it would it would require exactly that. A lot of picks, Andrew. You're right. It's going to require a gold mine, and I I don't know. It it'd be a lot. I'd hate to give up a huge haul of prospects for a, a position player, quite frankly. So I mean, I just rather see them. I really I wanted Sandy Leone back, and I know again I'm in the minority there. But he's a great game caller. And whether we disagree on who they should target to bring in for catcher, I'm all in as far as trading Vasquez goes. Just the simple idea of trading Vasquez, I'm all in. I've been saying it since before you guys even came on. As early as probably 2018, 2019 for sure, that Christian Vasquez is a terrible game caller. There's no evidence of him ever being a good game caller, at, at least over the course of a full season or, or even half a season, really. And I mean, Chris Sale, for whatever reason, pitched to him last year. No one knows why. And it didn't go great. Nathan Avaldi, you're arguably your best guy. Oh, I shouldn't even say arguably. He was the best pitcher on the staff last year. Couldn't pitch to Christian Vasquez. Hardly did at all anyway. I want Vasquez gone so bad. And I hate to say it because I like him. He's a good character guy. He's not a punk. He's a good kid. But I'm I'm just tired of watching the pitching staff underperform. And when you're trying to get Tanner Houck, on the right page and, and firing on all cylinders, pitching to his maximum potential. It's not going to be with Christian Vasquez catching him. It's not. So I just hope they target someone who has a, who has a good record of, of working with pitchers and go from there. If it's someone we trade for, then, then so be it. But I mean, we've got Connor Wong. I, I know people aren't super high on him. Uh, defensively, but uh, he, he's he's going to have probably a full season at AAA again with maybe some some call ups. And what about that catcher we got from Tampa, who was I think their number fourteen he, guy? I mean, he still really needs to develop as a catcher. His receiving skills aren't that. He's got a good arm, but his receiving skills definitely still lack. He's raw as can be. Um, He's a wild card. If he takes a step forward with his receiving skills, then yeah, you definitely have something there. But until that gets a hell of a lot better, um, you can't count on him. Yeah, I mean, just get a get a David Ross type guy or uh, Sandy Leone's with. I think I forget where he went, but uh, maybe Cleveland actually, but. Um, but that, that's just something, just anyone that's gonna, that's gonna elevate this pitching staff is, is who I want. And I don't care if they hit 220, 230, as long as the pitchers like pitching to him, that's, that's all I care about. And, uh, my, my final guy, 
we could probably talk an hour on this, but um, I'm a big Trevor Story guy. Of all the superstar middle infielders this year, I, I've I've said from the very beginning he represents the best value. Only going to command probably twenty million a year for five or six years, probably six years. So that puts him at what the the one twenty range, maybe maybe a little higher, but. Um, you could get him probably at almost a third of the price of a Carlos Correa type guy. And he's, I think, coming into his age 30 season. So a five or six year deal isn't terrible. I mean, you're not going to be paying him until he's 40. Like, uh, you know, some of these other guys that are getting these mega deals and better defensively than Xander Bogarts. He's never been a negative uh, defensive player in, in the war category. And so I, I don't know if he would come in as a shortstop. Xander moves to second. Or if perhaps Story would just play second base for the Red Sox. I am convinced of this. This will be the final year in Boston for Xander Bogarts. And I think Story becomes the long-term, more affordable guy and and the better value guy. I think Xander's going to command a lot of money. We saw that happen. That was the theme of the month of November. And, I mean, Corey Seager, for crying out loud, he's probably never going to play more than 120 games per season. He got a $325 million deal from the Texas Rangers. Granted, the Rangers are stupid, but he still got that deal. Xander's going to get a lot of money, maybe not that much money, but I don't think Bloom's going to pay it to him. He's terrible defensively. You're going to have to hide him somewhere eventually, and he wears out. He's like a thoroughbred. He just... He, he he only can sprint for a short distance and and that's it and and the finish line for him typically is somewhere around early August and he just kind of limps through the rest of the season and I I'm a big Trevor Story guy Charlie I know that as far as like shortstops coming to Boston goes um Seager to Boston was eh. Semyon, I wasn't really that much into it. Carlos Correa, I wanted no part of that space cadet. I I wanted literally the biggest pain in the you-know-what in baseball right now. I'm so glad he hasn't signed with anybody. Just a big ha-ha in your face. Trevor's story to Boston has been rumored and or talked about for, I honestly don't even remember how many months. Like, this was a... We might get him at the deadline move to, no, he's not going to come here. Maybe a free agent. And then it was the, what about free agency? What if he does come to Boston? I also don't want Xander Bogarts there. If I had a choice between Xander Bogarts or Trevor Story, I'd take Trevor Story. I will say this much, though. Major drop-off in numbers uh, for Trevor Story, who is hitting upper 290s, uh, What it, at least what it felt like. And just this past year, everything kind of took a step back. And maybe that's because... Not as many weapons are there because he didn't have uh, his superstar third baseman there for either protection or support um, as far as hitting and whatnot. So I think that could have been one of the reasons uh, why at least there was some some of the drop off as far as like RBIs went. But the home run number went down a little bit. Um, doubles are still there. Hits the only the only reason that went down. Batting average went down. And those are you know two P's in the pod there. Um, I'm concerned with the, with the number of, with the number of years that he could potentially get in Boston. Now we were talking about earlier Castellanos getting five one twenty. What do you think is going to happen for story? You think he's going to get 10, 300 or nine, 300, nine, two seventy, something like that. I think uh, MLB TR may, you know, MLB trade rumors had him uh, in the in the five year, hundred and twenty range. He'll probably get one more year than that. I'm guessing. So I would be willing to go five one twenty on Trevor Story. I think he'll max I mean, out at one fifty. Let's put it that way. I don't think he'll get that at Boston. 
in Boston, but I think there's a team that might be willing to give him five one fifty, absolutely thirty per. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Why not, Andrew? Yeah, you know, I've always liked Trevor Story. I've seen him a lot. You know, go a lot of games out here. Um, he's a gamer. His stats might not have shown it defensively. Uh, actually, he was pretty badly rated defensively last year, but he. He's good. He, he's he got a hell of an arm. Um, he'll give you whatever you need. He'll be able to pepper the monster. And actually, you know, left field is, you know, left center field is very deep at course field. And so is center field. So uh, he could do some damage in Fenway. Last year's projected home runs for him in Fenway Park would have been 39. So I, I think he would have fit well. I don't know if at this point, he is going to sign a long-term deal um, just with all the stories out there. Oh God, that was terrible. Um, it's, you know, <laughs> hadn't even tried to do that. Uh, it sounds like he's looking for a pillow contract in that. I am not interested in, I'd rather sign him to a multi-year as opposed to one. I just don't want to give up the draft pick and the international money for that. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of uh, whispers for him with the Yankees, which makes a lot of sense and would be great because uh, he can move Glaber off a of short. But I don't know. Maybe I'd sign him just to avoid seeing him in the Bronx. Here, here's the thing, too. He played an even 71 games both home and away because I do remember him doing a lot more damage when he was at Coors. He had 11 homers, 47 RBIs at 296 at Coors. He had 13 home runs, 28 RBIs, and hit 203 outside of course. That's my one area of be cautious because, well, yes, he might have had 39 at Fenway, but I don't know. Like, I I just don't know. Like, playing in, playing at Coors is, is magical if you're like Vinny Castilla or, you know, Larry Walker in your later years because they left – Colorado and we're not the same person and Trevor yeah, story I, could potentially be the same thing. His, his home run total. If you go on baseball savant, actually his expected home runs per ballpark Coors is the lowest, <laughs> which is hilarious. Everything else. Um, let's see. What was the big one? Oh, Yankee stadium. What a, he would have been at 48, <laughs> which is insane to think of. So like all those hits to right field would have been gone. And then, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I don't worry too much about ballpark and um, elevation regression with them. I do think it's more concerning for pitchers than it is hitters at this point. Since, you know, Fenway uses humidors now, so they're deadening the ball uh, pretty much everywhere. So what was that site you said? Baseball Savant? Yeah. You have to show me how that thing works because I'm looking at it. Right I now. can't work it. You need a you need a degree in something <laughs> to work it. You, you need an Andrew. All right, I got an Andrew. I just want to see the 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 strike zone every time a guy pitches, and I can never pull it up. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, I just think he's he's a good value guy. I, I don't think there's any scenario where we're going to be sitting here two years in and being like, oh, I can't believe we signed that guy. He could have opt outs too. And perhaps it ends up being a shorter deal. Um, I forgot about the draft pick, but I mean, the Red Sox have been connected to those type of guys anyway. So, but I just, I just found it. Andrew, I saw your 48 spot for New York, 40 Cleveland, 42 in Baltimore, 46 in Seattle. Wow. Wow, forty six in Seattle. That's uh, that's impressive. Yeah, forty six in Seattle, which is pretty wild because that's also the place that Adrian Beltre, I believe, only had seven, and then came to Boston and went off, and then he got a huge contract with Texas. And then goofy probably will go to the Hall of Fame on his uh, first entry. But we'll, uh, I guess, wrap on that. Uh, we went a full hour so uh didn't expect that but good to talk baseball good to hear your voices good to try out this equipment i am so excited about this mic stand i have it's got like a five pound weight which is what holds it in place so and, and a long arm that that stretches out so looking forward to seeing how it comes out i gotta figure out how to get the echoes down in this room i even brought my huge beanbag chair that i bought 
it's massive. You can't really see it. It's behind me, but hoping that would kind of dampen the echoes a little bit. But but we'll uh, I guess wrap on that, and uh, maybe we'll see some mud slinging uh, between the owners and the uh, players' association here in the in the coming days. Probably going to do a Hall of Fame show coming up because those ballots will be, well, not necessarily the ballots, but the results will be announced on uh, January 25th. So we'll know if David Ortiz gets in on his first year of eligibility. We'll see if Bonds and Clemens finally get in on their final year, uh, as well as some other fringe guys. Schilling looks like he's out. Scott Rowland, I guess, is, is borderline. So... We will get into that probably in the next show later in the week, Sunday at the latest. Don't hold me to it, but it'll be more sooner than later. Certainly more sooner than the gap we just had. So everybody take care and have a good rest of your week.